You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to Grow Yourself Up. Today, we're going to be talking all things trauma. I believe it's very important um, that we have a lot more psychoeducation around trauma and so we can understand our reactions and understand why certain things may trigger us. And so this psychoeducation series on trauma will be spread over many episodes. So this is just the first one. And do let me know if there's specific things that you'd like me to cover. I'm going to start at the beginning because I want to, as I said in the beginning, this is a layered podcast and I want you to be able to listen to this series and kind of build your knowledge. So I'm going to approach it in quite, I guess, like an academic way and give you some definitions and um, talk about some of the ways that I was taught about this in my um, master's and then how things have changed. So trauma is an overwhelming experience that um, f- sort of hampers our ability to cope with things. It's intolerable. It's unbearable. Some of the more recent definitions, I think, are more helpful because they take into account the impact on our um, nervous system or they explain how that's actually often not the event that um, causes the trauma, but what happens for us afterwards. So um, a famous quote of Peter Levine's, is that trauma is not what happens to us, but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathic witness. And I really like um, a really well-known one um, definition from Gabor Mate, which is trauma is not what happens to us. It's what happens inside of us after the event. So it speaks to the the way in which our bodily uh, processes and reactions and the way we deal with emotions and how our nervous system gets altered, how our brain gets altered. And, um, the unwinding of all of those impacts is what, what makes recovery sort of so complex. The literature used to talk a lot about a way to categorize trauma and they used to talk kind of older books talk about big T trauma and little t trauma. So when I first did my um, master's in psychotherapy, we focused on this. Um, but as we've learned more and more as a society about our bodies, our brains, our nervous systems, we've learned that 
these type of categories are not that important because really what we need to focus on is the residue of the experience that's left in the body. So um, the residue of the experience from cumulative little t trauma can be just as bad or worse as a one big event from a big t trauma. And so what we really want to understand is how we unwind um, that impact because this is what impacts us on a daily basis as we go about our daily lives. So just to kind of um, give you a little kind of high-level view of this, big T trauma was historically categorized as, as like big life events, um, well, not life events, but big traumatic events. So um, an earthquake, um, other um, extreme weather, a car accident, sexual assault or rape, someone like a life-threatening injury, um, someone dying in very traumatic circumstances, Pregnancy loss and stillbirth would also be considered. So, like um, losing your losing a child, all of those would be any single event. So, I'm not going to list them all, but any type of um, single event trauma would be considered big T trauma, and it was life threatening. So, in some cases, you would get um, post traumatic stress disorder from this life threatening big T trauma. Little T trauma is more uh, everyday occurrences. And prior to the Adverse Childhood Events Study um, in the late 90s, I'm not sure that we were as aware of how impactful little t trauma really is. So it's the day-to-day things that um, like divorce, uh, moving home, um, something really stressful happening in your family, the death of a family member, things that are considered part of life were considered to be little t trauma. But we know more and more now that little t trauma is um, extremely common and includes things like growing up um, in a family with addiction, alcoholic parents, um, emotional abuse, um, shaming in your family, emotional neglect. I would also consider um, little t trauma. And there's some uh, commentators who say that anything less than nurturing is trauma. And it's certainly true that um, our physiology, we've evolved to be held in warm, loving, receptive relationships. And for many of us, that does not describe our family of origin. So I would say that we've all experienced trauma. Life is traumatic. So while everyone has likely experienced some trauma in their lives, not everyone is left with either PTSD or complex PTSD. And the way in which we experience trauma and um, the legacy of what remains with us after the trauma depends on a lot of different factors. Our age makes a difference. Um, the resources we already have to manage things, um, the, the community we exist in, how much support, how much adult support we have around us, particularly as we were children, um, protective, other protective and compensatory factors, and um, also our different nervous systems. So if we've got a sensitive nervous system, if we are highly sensitive, we are more likely to experience something of traumatic. And children, for children, um, it's that thing that Peter Levine said about the empathic witness. For children, things can be, that, that path of trauma can be radically altered by the support that they receive afterwards. The kind of legacy of childhood trauma is that we are alone. Uh, we're left with a sense of powerlessness and often a sense of terror. And 
that there's no one to help work through it. Now, this might be very hard stuff for you to listen to, so please go gently with yourself as you listen to this. Really notice your own um, nervous system. If you need to tend to yourself to stop listening, go and get a glass of water, um, or perhaps you know all this before, but really notice your own individual story and context and be gentle with yourself. So why is considering trauma important? Why, um, why do I talk about it? The key thing is that it impacts all of the way that we turn up in our life after we've had a traumatic childhood. And so we continue to act from stories of the past rather than being able to see that now as adults, we are safe. Because when something happens in our adult lives that is triggering, we have what is called a trauma response. So that's a cascade of bodily processes driven by um, the excretion of stress hormones. And um, we get flooded by cortisol and adrenaline and, and many other things happen because I'm, I'm really simplifying this a lot. And then it is as if things that happened in our childhood are right in our present moment and we lose the freedom to make our adult choices. When the stimulus comes, then our response is fused to that. So um, there's a quote which is um, widely believed to come from Viktor Frankl, which talks about um, there's the stimulus and there's a response, and our freedom comes in bringing a pause in between the stimulus and the response. But with trauma, it is as if they are fused. So a, a stimulus comes and... Um, we go down our habitual pathway of um, response and reaction. So let me give you an example of that in regards to work. So imagine that you um, grew up as the adult child of an alcoholic and you learned to always perfect and um, get things right and that you needed to always be good and be pleasing the people around you. So when you get into the work situation, you will tend to be very... Um, uh, perfectionist in the way you do your work. Probably you make a fabulous employee actually because you're so dedicated and diligent. And by the way, this this is this trauma response that I'm talking about, about perfectionism, um, overworking, um, people pleasing. The trauma doesn't have to have been an alcoholic parent. The responses that we develop are common, almost kind of regardless of what actually happened that meant we didn't get our needs met. So it might be that you had a very neglectful parent. It might be that you were only um, given attention when you were sick and you didn't have uh, any emotional support. It might be that you were criticized all the time. It might be that you had to tend to your parents' emotions. So you're a parent of a child. Perhaps you had to care for your siblings. There's a huge, huge variety of scenarios that can happen, which mean that you as a child don't get your needs met. And so an, a very common adaptation to that is to um, learn, okay, if I get things perfect, then maybe I'll be lovable. And we take that into adult life. So then um, if, if you're, if you're uh, working on a project and um, your boss gives you some feedback on a Friday night, which could be dealt with on Monday, but for you, it's absolutely impossible to put down a boundary and say, I'm not going to do this now because it feels way too painful. And the sensations I get in my body signify that there's a lot of danger here, i.e. I need to attend to this immediately. That is what I would describe as a trauma response because it feels like you immediately need to please the boss, that it's kind of life-threatening that you have to do the work now, that maybe you have to work the whole weekend, and that it feels impossible to um, kind of engage with your frontal cortex and think, okay, um, 
you know, do I need to do this work now? I've been working really hard a week. Actually, I need to go home and I can get on with it on Monday morning. But that is often out of our reach when we have a background where we haven't got our needs met. And there's so much that we can do around this. Um, so if, if, if you recognize any of yourself in this, please again, be gentle with yourself. I'm going to read you a description. Um, from Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, about a trauma response, because I think this is really helpful to kind of understand it a bit more. So, and he explains kind of why it feels like the past comes right into the present moment. So I'll read it from, from his book. While we all want to move beyond trauma, the part of our brain that is devoted to ensuring our survival, which is deep below our rational brain, is not very good at denial. Long after a traumatic experience is over, it may be reactivated at the slightest hint of danger and mobilize disturbed brain circuits and secrete massive amounts of stress hormones. This precipitates unpleasant emotions, intense physical sensations, and impulsive and aggressive actions. These post-traumatic reactions feel incomprehensible and overwhelming. Feeling out of control, survivors of trauma often begin to fear that they are damaged to the core and beyond redemption. We are not damaged to the core. We are not beyond redemption, but our physiology has um, been seeking to keep us um, alive and responds to any new threats um, in our adult lives as if it was um, something from the past. So starting to understand that this is what's happening on our physiology and that it's not necessarily the truth. The present moment is a key aspect of um, healing trauma. I really want to kind of put a caveat in here that this is a huge, huge subject. And um, I'm kind of synthesizing massive, massive amounts of information um, into this to try and pre- present a, a kind of a simplified overview. And I will be going into a lot more detail um, in kind of various different channels. So for example, I'm going to do a specific episode or maybe a couple of episodes actually about complex PTSD. Um more about the patterns that um, impact us in childhood. And again, if there's anything you want me to cover, let me know. But really starting to understand that understanding some of our background and how um, our kind of our biography and our history impacts us is really important so that we can have the freedom in our adult lives to live the life we want to. This is not necessarily about blaming parents. You may... Um, have a very difficult relationship with your parents. They may have been um, acts of abuse. That that means you don't want to have a relationship with them. Um, they may you may have had parents who just perpetuating patterns of disconnection in your family. So I don't know each of your individual contexts, but please hold that for yourself um, as you listen. There's also something I want to explain about how come there's been such an explosion of knowledge about trauma in kind of the last thirty years. So. Um, the 1990s was known as the decade of the brain in, um, particularly in the US because the US government gave a lot of money to, um, researchers to look at the brain and to understand more about it. And there's been huge, we, we now know a lot more. We have a much more detailed understanding about the impact of, um, the effects of psychological trauma, of abuse, of neglect and of kind of all types of trauma. And we know a lot more about this because of the explosion. So first of all, what I mentioned about um, in neuroscience, so um, more work done around understanding our brains, um, the study of how our brain supports 
which is the study of how our brain supports mental processes. Um, there's been a lot of development in another um, science called developmental um, psychopathology, which is the study of the impact of adverse experiences on the development of our brain and our mind. And then lastly, interpersonal neurobiology, which is how, which is a study of how our behavior influences the emotions, biology and mindsets of those around us. And there's been some like giants in this field, like, um, Dan Siegel, um, Alan Shaw and lots of other scientists. But if you look at any of the work of Dan Siegel, he's very, um, he's a neuroscientist. I think he's a neuroscientist. I think he's also a psychiatrist and he's done a lot of work on interpersonal neurobiology and about how um, we co-regulate with each other and just being in the presence of a loving other makes things much better for us. So you can understand that the absence of a loving other in childhood, if we had um, trauma, is uh, devastating and has a really lasting impact. That's to kind of give you, if you, if you sometimes wonder to yourself, how come my parents didn't know what I know now about how important it is to say attend to my child's emotions or be present for them. Well, um, depending on what age you are, you're, they couldn't have known because um, we didn't know the stuff. And I think that can be quite an important thing to hold in mind because although attachment theory um, has been around since like the 1960s, the actual science to back up the theory is much more recent. So just kind of let that kind of filter down so you can kind of, and, and I find that sometimes information quite helpful um, uh, to kind of help with my own self-compassion for my parents. And you may have no self-compassion for your parents, and that is also okay. It's I really want to emphasize that all of us are on a different journey um, with regards to our own childhood trauma, and um, some of you may have uh, cut your parents off. Um, some of you have may have experienced um, severe abuse. Um, some of you may have experienced sexual abuse. None of that is your fault. It is never, ever, ever, ever the child's responsibility, and for those and many other reasons you may not be in a relationship with your parents. So I'm reflecting on how I use information um, and how that helps me with my own self-compassion. That doesn't mean that you need to have self-compassion. Now, how have we come to know that the impacts of childhood trauma are similar to, say, a, a, a war veteran? They can be similar and you can have the similar um, like flashbacks and um, experiences that, that you might um kind of have associated with a war veteran. How have we come to know that? So a key key piece of the science has been something called the Adverse Childhood Events Study, which was done by um by someone called Vincent Felitti in um in San Diego in the States in the um mid to late 1990s. And after he had done some extraordinary work, um, he was initially working on helping obese patients with um losing weight. And he pondered why so many of his patients put on weight after um, they'd lost incredible amounts of weight. And he started to um, dig into some of their history and understand when they had started to put on weight in their lives. And there was a huge linkage between uh, weight and childhood trauma. He was could have, couldn't quite believe his results and, um, what kind of what the data was showing him. And so he teamed up with, um, a doctor called, uh, Robert Ander, who had been doing, um, research on self-destructive patterns for years. And together they, um, did, um, the adverse childhood events study. 
This study was funded by the Centers for Disease Control, which is a major U.S. agency funding uh, medical research. And um, this study consisted of 10 questions. So it was quite a simple study. They asked 10 categories of, of, of different things that could have happened to you when you're a child, ranging from sexual abuse, emotional abuse, being neglected, growing up with addiction in your household, the death of a parent, um, a, a wide range of um, so addiction or alcohol abuse, um, physical abuse. And the questions, so there were 10 questions initially, and um, I believe they have actually been updated. You can look on the internet um, for more specific details about this. And then they also did a detailed mes- medical questionnaire of anything um, that could be going wrong for you on a medical basis. Um, so they, they talked, they asked questions about obesity, about heart disease, about diabetes, about depression, um, a huge range of questions. And, um, they gave it to a, a huge sample size of people, actually 17,000 people who received healthcare from an organization called Kaiser Permanent in San Diego. And, um, in terms of the representation of this of this sample compared to the population, what they commented was that the um, the people in the form were a tiny bit older than the general population of San Diego, and also a bit more, um, a little bit more, uh, they had more wealth. Their results were um, very surprising. And initially, um, a lot of people wanted to resist them, but they are now broadly accepted as a scientific consensus. And there have been lots of studies that have repeated these results. It turned out that for every category of traumatic experience you went through as a child, you were much more likely to have um, adverse medical events in um, adulthood and much more likely to have depression and or anxiety. If you had six categories, so if you had six ACEs as a child, um, or, you know, when you completed the questionnaire, you were far more likely to, um, suffer depression as an adult. And if you had seven ACEs, you were 3,100% more likely to commit uh, suicide as an adult. So for the percentage of the population who has over, um, six ACEs, is not that great, but there are many, many, many of us who have one, two, or three ACEs. And one ACE, so having adverse childhood events in, in childhood is um, very impactful on your adult life. And the reason I'm sharing this study with you is because often people who've experienced things in their childhood, first of all, they might not know they were damaging, or a very, very, very common thing is that we think it's our fault and that somehow we were to blame and that we were bad and therefore we never tell anyone. And then we have a ton of shame. Kind of one of my purposes in doing this podcast is to talk about trauma, to say how common it is and to break down shame around it because it is not your fault. And when we share about things, we hold each other in a web of support the devastating legacy of shame means that we feel on some sort of visceral level that we're not good enough. And so that's extremely impactful in adult life. So let's undo that together. I'm going to read you something from um, a book called Lost Connections, which is a book about depression, a, a beautiful book by someone called Johan Hari. And I really, really suggest you read this book, but I'm going to read you um, how they helped 
sort of how they took forward in that actual population of 17,000 people, how they took forward these results so that they could actually help those people in their life. And I find this a very beautiful um, description. You can read a lot. You'll be able to find a lot on the internet about um, the the ACE studies. Um, you can search, uh, I think, on PubMed um, or, you know, there's lots of different um, studies around this. So you can actually find the academic studies. But I'm reading you something from this book because um, Johan Hari, when he wrote this book, actually interviewed Vincent Felitti. So you get a lot more hu- kind of human detail, which I really love. And I think that you may too. So essentially, um when they made the, these discoveries about um, how childhood trauma impacted um, you and your adult life, um, Vincent Felitti, the doctor who had kind of engineered the study, wanted to know how they could help the patients now in the present moment, even in their adult lives. So they began an experiment. So now I'm going to read from Lost Connections. Every doctor providing help to a Kaiser permanent patient from anything from hemorrhoids to eczema to schizophrenia was told to look at the patient's trauma questionnaire. And if the patient had suffered a childhood trauma, the doctors were given a simple instruction. They were told to say something like, I see you had to survive X or Y in your childhood. I'm sorry that happened to you. It shouldn't have. Would you like to talk about these experiences? If the patient said she did, the doctor was told to express sympathy and to ask, do you feel it had negative long-term effects on you? Is it relevant to your health today? The goal was to offer the patients two things at the same time. The first was an opportunity to describe the traumatic experience, to craft a story about it so the patient could make sense of it. As this experiment began, one of the things they discovered almost immediately is that many of the patients had literally never before acknowledged what happened to them to another human being. The second, just as crucial, was to show them that they wouldn't be judged. On the contrary, as Vincent explained to me, the purpose was for them to see that an authority figure who they trusted would offer them real compassion for what they'd gone through. So the doctors started to ask the questions. While some patients didn't want to talk about it, many of them did. Some started to explain about being neglected or sexually assaulted or beaten by their parents. Most, it turned out, had never asked themselves if these experiences were relevant to their health today. Prompted in this way, they began to think about it. What Vincent wanted to know was, would this help or would it be a harmful and stirring up of old traumas? He waited anxiously for the results to be compiled from tens of thousands of these consultations. When the figures came in, um, the patients who had had their trauma compassionately acknowledged by an authority figure seemed to show a significant reduction in their illness. They were 35% less likely to return for medical help for any condition. At first, the doctors feared that this might be because they had upset the patients and they had felt shamed, but literally nobody complained. And in follow-ups, a large number of patients said they were glad to have been asked. For example, one elderly woman who had described being raped as a child for the first time wrote them a letter. Thank you for asking, it said simply. I feared I would die and no one would ever know what had happened. In a smaller pilot study, after being asked these questions, the patients were given the option of discussing what had happened in a session with a psychoanalyst. These patients were 50% less likely to come back to the doctor saying they felt physically ill or seeking drugs in the following year. So what some of this suggests there's a couple of main things. Firstly, that a compassionate witness to understand and be present and uh, process through stuff for us makes a fundamental difference. If that happens immediately after the trauma, so there's evidence that if you have narrative therapy immediately after a trauma, it radically uh, reduces your chances of getting PTSD. But when you're processing and as as an adult, 
um, stuff that happened to you in childhood, that also makes a huge difference to how you experience life and, and makes you feel a lot better. That's, that's the kind of the gist of therapy. And secondly, that, um, as well as the childhood trauma causing problems, it's also the hiding away of the childhood trauma because the shame, um, really kind of eats at our core and gives us the feeling that we're defective. And if you hold on to the idea that somehow you were causing what was going on or you believe that it was your fault, that's devastating. So I know this is maybe stirred up a lot, but um, I really want you to kind of uh, consider this in the light of some of your history. Be gentle with yourself. I will go into more detail about some of the scenarios that that are traumatic. But what I really want to say is that trauma is an individual experience and it's about our nervous system being overwhelmed. So, so anything that overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to cope and floods us in the moment without any, um, you know, adult there to help us process afterwards or to be an empathic witness, as Peter Levine says, means that would have been too much for us in the moment. Trauma is subjective. So something that one person will find traumatic, someone else may not feel traumatic, but that's all to do with the nervous system, the resources available and what other protective factors are around. So for example, if you shout at a baby, it's much more traumatic than um, say shouting at an adult um, because that can be very overwhelming for the baby system. So no one gets to decide uh, or tell you whether or not you've had trauma. I really want you to kind of understand that your body will will have your story. Your reactions today will contain your story. Um, how you feel in certain situations will contain your story. You validating yourself is an important part of your own journey. Okay, I know this maybe has been quite a long episode, but I hope that this has been a useful start and um, take really good care of yourself as you go into your week. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.